From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm pop culture critic Peter Hartlob, and today I'm joined by Ideen Vaziri and Mark Lundgren for an emergency Rolling Stones podcast. The Stones announced last week that their next tour will pass through Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara on May 18th, 2019. Ideen is our pop music critic. He's reviewed the band multiple times, and Lundgren, an assistant Metro editor, has seen the Stones 89 times since 1972, including shows in Tokyo, London, Mexico City, and Napa, Idaho, a suburb of Boise. He's planning to see the band six times on the current tour. We talk about why a band like the Stones is better to see multiple times in a row than, say, Paul McCartney. We get into some Rolling Stones history in the Chronicle. The newspaper made fun of them on the front page in 1964, calling the band another passing fad like the Beatles. And we talk about our best and worst stadium experiences in the Bay Area, from Candlestick Park to Levi's Stadium to AT&T Park to the Oakland Coliseum, home of the legendary Days on the Green. Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. Welcome to the Datebook Podcast, and welcome to the Archive, Ideen Vaziri, and for the first time, I believe, Assistant Metro Editor Mark Lundgren. Hi, how you doing? Hello. Yeah, we're going to talk Rolling Stones. We're going to talk stadium shows. Um, Bay Area show coming up, Ideen? Yes, we've got them uh, coming to Levi Stadium. I think Mark actually told me about this show maybe a year before it was announced, Uh because he knows so much about the band, but we have um, sources. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he the, they're gonna come to uh, Levi Stadium on May eighteenth, two thousand nineteen. Very excited for that, of course. Yeah. Always when the Stones come around, it's an event. And and how did you find out? Um, I, I remember there were a bunch of little little clues in social media. Right. Well, the Stones always like to tease, right? So they they put the tongue logo, and they did this last time. Uh, they start putting it up around uh the cities they're going to play so with this tour they you know put it on the side of one of the stadiums they put it on the sidewalks um, first spotting was on the the bay bridge here they, they're coming here yes they are, and, and that, that starts the excitement among the deep fan base and then the shows are normally they've done this before they did it during the tour in 2015 and so you get hints of what cities they're going to play in, and then they finally announce the tour. But the, it's, this is a marketing tool. It's how they build up excitement before the tour is actually announced. Mark, uh, deep fan base. I consider you a member of that. I mean, as soon as I find out Stone's news, I usually go to walk by your desk and get your take. And I walked by your desk, and you had, like, this spreadsheet out with a bunch of numbers, and you were already full go. So I want to talk a little bit about your Stones fandom. First of all, you're going to go to several of these shows? Uh, this tour, the plan right now is to do six. There are 14, or I'm sorry, there are 13 shows that are announced right now, and there's likely to be three more added. Um, I'm going to do six out of the 16. Is that typical for you? It's it, yeah, it's pretty typical. The tours now, the tours used to be, you know, a year and a half, two years, and there'd be 150 shows. But now the tours are once a year, and they're 14 to 16 shows, so the tours are much shorter. But about 
a third to half of the shows is what I normally do. I think we started working together around, I'm thinking like 2001, 2002, when I moved down from, I was a courtroom reporter and moved down to become an arts reporter. And I immediately, like, I think I was early in our getting to know each other. I think I told you that, I remember telling you Tattoo You was my favorite Stones album. And I remember you were so nice about it. Tell me a little bit about the background of Tattoo You and sort of saying nicely that I didn't make a really great pick. <laughs> well, it's actually, I, I, I remember it differently because it's, it's, I actually quite like that album. But um, the strange thing about Tattoo You is the songs were left over from some girls. So they were kind of the, you know, swept off the studio floor. Um, and that album wasn't actually recorded in, intentionally. It was, we need an album, so we're going to put these leftover songs together. I thought it could turn out quite well. <laughs> I did, too. Um, I remember you telling me that. And I never did ask you, though, back then, and I'm going to ask you now, when did your Rolling Stones fandom kind of start? When was it, it a start? slow build? Uh, no, I was, as a, as a child, I was a Beatles fan. So I was, I was a very young Beatles fan. My grandmother used to buy me Beatles albums when I was like six years old. I had a couple of teenage neighbors, though, who, you know, turned me on to rock and roll early. So I got an early start. But then the Beatles, of course, you know, petered out at some point and the Stones were still there. And the Stones, uh, the Beatles developed more uh, um, in, uh, as a whole band. And the Stones, I think, progressed and they really changed as they moved into the late 60s and the early 70s. And that's when I really latched onto the Stones. So as far as the live uh, aspect of my fandom, if we want to use that word, started in 1972, which was the first time I saw the band. And um, the multiple show addiction started early because I had tickets <laughs> for, they played three shows at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Um, two of the shows were on the same day because they sold so many tickets. So I had tickets for the two o'clock in the afternoon show, went in, saw the show. My friend Bobby Coster and I came out in the parking lot, bought two 10th row seats for $12 a piece, <laughs> went back in and saw the eight o'clock show that night. So it was twice in one day. Um, and then I, the next few tours, I just saw one tour because I was busy with college and things like that. And then when they uh, reappeared after their mid eighties uh, um, touring break and started started touring again. Um, I did four shows in 89. And then I think in the 94, 95 tour, I did 11. And I think in this 97, 98 tour, I did like 17. Um, so it just became, um, uh, I mean, I like going to shows, obviously, but there was travel involved too. I traveled to see the shows. I've seen the stones all over the world. Yeah. And it's a fun thing to do. It's like to go to a new city or place you haven't been before. Like three years ago, I went to Mexico City. I'd only been to the airport in Mexico City. So I spent five days in Mexico City, saw the Stones a couple of times. You combine travel with with the Stones. You have Stones tourism. It's a lot of fun. I got to tell you that I'm a Rush super fan. And I've done back-to-back nights with Rush. And usually after that second night, I'm like... That's enough rush for me. It, it um, takes a lot of dedication to do that. It takes a lot of dedication. Is, is there something about the Stones that you can see them five, six times on a tour and it's still Well, it's still you? a thrill. And they still, while this, this, over the years, the set list has become uh, somewhat stagnant, especially the second half of the show, because that's what they roll out, what are called the war horses. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that really draw, you know, tens of thousands of people to stadiums. 
Um, but during the first part, the first half of the show, they mix it up a bit. So you get a couple surprises, two or three surprises during every show. And then I think the secret is to not go to, you know, shows three, four, five, six, and seven. You go to show one, show five, show, you know, eight, and show 11 so that you have breaks in there. And um, it, that way it doesn't become monotonous. It's, it's, I've never gone to a show and said, I really wish I were somewhere else. Um, but I guess to some people that would that would happen. I think the, the thing about the Stones is that spontaneous quality. Because I remember um, I've seen them several times as well. And the shows have always been different, even with the different. same set list. Whereas I've seen Paul McCartney over the span of years. The first time I saw Paul McCartney... I thought, oh my God, this is the best show ever. Like he said very personal things. He was playing songs that I thought he wasn't playing anywhere else. You know, like, wow, this is. And then I saw him three years later, exact same set list, exact same words between the songs. <laughs> I was, and I, he, he lost me, you know. I, and then I saw him again and it was the same thing. It was like a Broadway musical on tour. Um, but you don't get that with the Stones. They're, they're yeah, they're much more spontaneous, and you never know from. I mean, the phones, the Stones have for years, for decades, been uh, some nights gloriously sloppy. I saw them at a show in uh, 2003 at a, uh, the Bercy Arena in Paris, and they were just tremendously sloppy. And it's still one of the best shows I've ever seen because you had no idea what was going to happen. And some of the songs sounded totally different than they normally do. And, uh, the, you know, they're great musicians, but their musicianship is not always even. It's, it, you know, goes up and down. Some nights Keith barely plays guitar. Some nights you, he's, you know, ferocious on guitar. So there's a lot of things to watch for, and there's a lot of surprises during every single show. How are they aging? Uh, I think they're aging quite well. I, I think that Mick especially is, is you know, Mick is 75, and he's phenomenal. It, you know, he can still dance like crazy. He can still, you know, run a few miles during a show, you know, without losing his breath. He can still, his voice still sounds great. You know, I think it's actually better with age. Um, Charlie, who's 77, is, you know, I mean, he, he's still an amazing drummer, and, you know, he, they're still going. Keith is... Um, Keith has a little age on him, but Keith has always been an old soul anyway. Yeah. And, you know, Ronnie's just you know a young guy, and since he quit drinking and quit smoking, he's, like, far healthier than he used to be. You can just tell that he looks much better than he, than he used to. So I think they're aging quite well. How many tours they have left in them, who knows? Um, I mean, could this be the, could be the last one? They're not saying. I kind of doubt it. You know, I've heard that they're going to go to Japan after this, but, you know, nothing's confirmed until it's confirmed you know i we're going to talk a little bit um i found some historical rolling stones facts in our archive and when mick jagger came here for his 34th birthday 1978 day on the green there were quotes from people saying yeah this may be our last chance to see him (laughs) you know so i think people have been saying that for a while do you have a favorite tour is it that first one or, or? No, the favorite. My favorite tour is the Licks tour in two thousand two, two thousand three, and because they uh, two reasons they did three different types of venues. They did theaters, they did arenas, and they did stadiums. So you got you could you know choose, and um, they also really mixed up the set list um, across those three different venues. Uh, that was my favorite. That was my favorite tour. I think other really good tours were the. Um, the Bridges or the the No Security tour in 1999 was a good, really good tour, and 
some people may think this is surprising, but the last U.S. tour, the Zip Code tour in 2015, the performances were spectacular. They were really, really good, um, and I think unexpectedly so. I, I had Susan Slusser on, our A's beat writer, on my other podcast, The Big Event, to talk about how much she loves the band The Jam. She'll follow them like 11 different cities mm-hmm. on a tour. Um, and she said it's not just the band, it's the different venues and seeing some of the same people. Do you have your Rolling Stones friends? Do you see some of the same people oh, out yeah. on the show? Yeah, they're, they're, there's a crew of about... Um maybe 50 really hardcore fans that I know from all over the world, and I see them at almost every show I go to. Uh, the Stones' biggest fan is a guy named Bjornif Vick, who lives in Norway. <laughs> and Bjornif goes to every single show. He runs the fan club, uh, the Stones fan club of Europe. He goes to every single show, and I'm often sitting right next to him. So I know that when I, you know, go wherever, B- BV's going to be there. He's, <laughs> he's very famous. Um, Dean Goodman, who's a music writer in uh, L.A., um, he goes to most of the shows, and there are other people, um, you know, who go to all the shows. I mean, I don't go to all the shows. You know, I haven't seen four or five hundred shows like like Bjornif has, but there are people like that out there. There's always a bigger fan out there if you look. Um, I I dug around in our archive. We're in the archive right now, and just wanted to find some highlights from the early years with the Stones. I was not disappointed. Um, The very first time the Rolling Stones were mentioned in the San Francisco Chronicle was on the front page, uh, Monday, June 1st, 1964. And I'm just going to read the beginning. First came the Beatles, now come the Rolling Stones. Oh, where will it end? (laughs) (laughs) And then just go on to, it's just a a photo with uh, like five paragraph. I love that they're... Whoever made the decision, they 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 hate that the stones are coming, but they had to. They realized they had to put it on the on cover, the like on top of the fold. Yeah, and I think it actually the. I prefer the ending of that article. I'll <laughs> read it for you. One British critic says the stones are dirtier, wilder, freakier, and more disheveled than the Beatles. Their manager, however, says they are not dirty, just independent. <laughs> Only time will tell. <laughs> so this was actually their first U.S. tour they were coming in. They did not come to the Bay Area, yet we still put them on the front page to make fun of them. Um, but they did come the following year uh, in May 1965, and Ralph Gleason, our rock critic, was there. Um, it was very much like a Beatles scene. He, he's R- Ralph Gleason's a legend, and he wrote about the musicianship too, but he wrote a lot about the scene. I just want to read one mm-hmm. paragraph. The shrill feminine cries were so loud one could hardly hear the group at all. Periodically, the press became so acute that the cops would lean over the lip of the stage and extract some wiggling body from the blob of flesh, throw her backwards like a sack of wheat across the stage, and march her down the exit steps to the side. Um, That's some writing. Yeah, that was great writing, and that's at the Civic Auditorium. Um, And we followed them more and more. I'm going to actually write a a RSF column, and and, uh, I'm going to share some of these photos and front pages, but I'm going to write a column about that 78 show because like a lot of the best photography here, the rock photography, they shot the band, but then they turned it around and shot the crowd. And they got people waiting in line on the Coliseum Bridge to get in. Um, They got a lot of just super fans out there. And it's a great, great set of photos that we've never really shown. So I'm going to show that this week. Oh, great. 
Um, I wanted to talk to you guys about stadium shows, though, too, because this is a Levi's stadium show. Yes. And um, maybe breaking it down two ways. One, people who are going maybe haven't been, what to expect, and also just what you in general think about stadium shows. And I wanted to start with you, Ideen. Um, just in your day-to-day travels, you see probably a dozen stadium shows a year. What's your feeling about them in general? I, you know, when you asked me to do this, I, I had to think back, and I realized that I never went to a stadium show as a fan. It was only once I started working here as a pop music critic that I went to a stadium <laughs> show. And you know, they're not my favorites. I don't like the vastness. Um, and the only time I really like a stadium show is when I'm very close to the stage and I can, uh, it feels like an arena show. Otherwise, if I'm sitting in the back, I just get distracted. I feel disconnected from whatever is happening, you know, half a mile away or wherever the stage is. Um, and it's it's a lot to contend with going to a stadium, you know, there's driving, there's parking, there's everything costs a lot. You have a lot of people in the way. But once you're there, I have to say it's really nice. Uh, it's clean, you know, beautiful venue. Um, but, you know, I wish it was a little closer to home, I have to say. I'm sure you feel I, the same I way. know people who are, are not going to the Levi's show because it's at Levi's. And for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's too hard to get to. Um, I have one friend who's actually in the music business who's going to go to Seattle instead because she thinks it's easier to take a plane to Seattle. <laughs> and in some ways, it, it, in some ways, it is. Uh, as far as it's, as far as stadium shows go, they're they're good and bad. Um, for your average general fan, they're designed for that kind of, you know, the, the kind of mid-level fan, not for the hardcore fans. And the Stones put on a put on a really good stadium show. The stage is, is giant. It has like the best video screens you'll ever see. The sound is fabulous. If you're far away, you can still get a good experience. Um, the, the downside is that they also design the music for the stadium. So you, you don't get, you know, you don't get an acoustic set and you don't get quieter songs. You get, you get hits is what you get with a couple of surprises thrown in. So for a hardcore fan like me, yes, I'd rather see him in a theater, which I had before. Yes, I'd rather see him in an arena. But, you know, I'll be up front at Levi's, and I'll be perfectly happy there. Um, as, as far as Levi's itself, I, I, I went to see you 2 there last year, and um, it, it actually wasn't that hard to get in and out of. It took a while to get there. Um, the stadium itself I didn't like at all, um, and there's a couple reasons for that. It's um, – it, they didn't have any they didn't seem to have the fans the fans really uh, best interest in mind there the if you go to a show uh, a music show a concert at AT&T for example the giants will turn the dugouts into bars and they'll put like high quality the nice porta potties on the field so if you're on the field you never have to leave the field so that does two things it it you know it makes it nice for you on the field and it also keeps people on the field from having to go up and down the steps and interrupting the people in the stands, blocking their view as they're going up and down the steps. It also takes pressure off the concourse amenities, the, the restrooms and the, um, and the concession stands. So it, that's really smart. At Levi's, it never crossed their minds. And I waited in line for a beer before the, um, with some friends for a beer before the U2 show. We never got close to the concession stand. 
we never got close. So oh, the U2. That. I was at that yeah. show, and I remember that, um, just seeing it on social media. I think some of that is Levi's growing pains. I know. I think it's some of it's Levi's growing and, pains and I, also. I think the traffic, a lot of that is Levi's growing pains. I'm a 49ers fan, and my family, we have season tickets. And getting in and out of Levi's isn't that bad because everybody's gone to game after game after game, and they know what to do. I, I a lot of times, will take the train in. Um, there's a lot more you know, people taking, I think, public transit. With the the stadium shows, I think it, a lot of times it's someone's first time at Levi's, mm-hmm. and they're more likely to screw it up and you know create bottlenecks and things like that. Um, I like Levi's. Um, my phone works. They have the best Wi-Fi there. And like, if I'm at Old Candlestick when I was mm-hmm. there in AT and T Park, if I want to send a tweet, I have to basically like walk to the corner of AT and T Park where you can you know get enough of a signal to send a tweet. I like that they have Wi-Fi. I like that you can walk around. Um, Candlestick was just a mess with, uh, you know, you'd get in a, a, a hallway and people were in line and you couldn't even get by. It was so old, though, too. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I do like the trophy urinals better at mm-hmm. Candlestick. Yeah. I wish Levi's would have brought those in. Well, the, the, I will say this. As, as, as far as AT&T versus Levi's, for the concert experience, a football stadium is always better than a baseball stadium because it's just because of the shape, because of the yeah. oval shape. With baseball stadium, it's shaped like a diamond, and you have to put the stage in the outfield. So it's that's where the bleachers are, so there aren't as many fans are close to the stage. The bulk of the fans are in the back on, in the stands, whereas in a place like Levi's, you can pack more fans closer to the stage. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing about yeah. that's a good thing about Levi's. It feels like a really a bigger arena. Yeah, experience. it feels like a, it feels like a supersized arena, whereas a baseball stadium feels like a baseball stadium. Yeah, I, I and I wanted to, you know, I like Levi's. I think the sound is pretty good. Um, I like a lot of parts of it. AT and T is my nemesis. Um, if you're not down near the field, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's worthless. It's, that's true. I saw Springsteen once, you know, <laughs> not not for work, you know, paid mm-hmm. for my tickets. Saw Springsteen up in, you know, whatever it was, left field up near the top and it it was worthless i mean it the sound just carried right up into the air mm-hmm. um couldn't see anything they they got a really small screen in there i noticed the last couple times metallica's played they've gotten a very big screen in there and kind of wrapped it around almost in a curve but really small screen and, and at&t i was like i'm never gonna come back here again unless it's for work and in that case you know usually i am down on the field so the sound's a little better yeah i mean when i saw the last show i think i saw there was ed sheeran and i was i had good seats in the stands but there was about a hundred yards of space between me and the floor seats and then the stage and i just felt so disconnected from it it i might as well have been watching youtube you know it's just it, it didn't feel like a live experience at all yeah yeah uh, Candlestick. I want to give a shout out to Candlestick. I went to the last uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah, I was there too. Yeah, and and I had only seen him once. So I was like, this guy's great. <laughs> He's saying so many new, fresh things. Right. You know? um, and then I saw uh, Jay Z and Justin Timberlake there, which I think was the second to last show. And Candlestick sounded good. My my very first stadium show was Monsters of Rock there, in probably like '88. And it's almost like it was built like this giant woofer, you know. It was. Uh, I remember both those shows. I thought the sound was pretty good. Um, again, hard to get around. That Paul McCartney show, show, I left the earliest I've ever come to get to a concert, and I missed the beginning of it. Yeah, that was a yeah. traffic disaster. Um, yeah. Same thing when you 2 played Oakland Coliseum a few years ago. I was going to review. I left early. I, I think they had a good opening act. I don't remember now, but 
I I missed maybe an hour of the show just sitting on the freeway right outside the uh should have taken Bard idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that would have been any better. There were so many people there, they, and they just didn't didn't know how to manage it. They just yeah. didn't have a, but, which is you know a drawback of going to these stadium shows is so many people are going there, and it's, it's what, a nightmare. Yeah. What What are your stadium show tips, other than don't go? I see it in your <laughs> face there. <ID. laughs> uh, I just be prepared for the be prepared for the crowds. Be patient. Um, you know, make sure you get your your vittles and your and your you know beverages early yeah and you know settle in and try and relax because there will be a lot of people they can be stressful yeah i'd say take care of all your basic needs food bathroom drinks before you even step into the stadium uh, and then just be there for the show and uh be patient because it's not going to be uh you're not going to have people around you who are attentive it's you, you, there's, there's a lot to deal with, you know. I'll tell you too. I mean, this is kind of a cynical thing. You go and see a band you love, and you want to see every minute of it and experience it. But I, I get the set list, and I do this as a critic, but I also do it as a fan. And I find out what their last couple of songs are, and I, I always wait to see. I remember when U2 came, you know, a couple times ago. They shook it up a little bit at the end, and then we're thanking a lot of local people. So I had to get that in my story. I wasn't like. But I'll, I'll basically be like a track star at the mm-hmm. exact corner that's going to be closest to, you know, Bart at the Oakland Coliseum or closest to my car at Levi's and just be ready to bolt. And uh, I don't train for it per se, but uh, I, no, I'm I've, ready I've to. Done, I've, I don't do that with the Stones, but I've done that with other bands too. Yeah, like with Rush. I mean, that's the last band that I remember, you know, really wanting to see him, but also thinking like, I, you know, I was with my son. I'm like, I want to get home. And when there's a story to write too, that's a factor so too. So that, that's the thing. You either do that, you either do the hundred yard dash right as they play that last note or, or alternately you could just sit there and wait for everyone else to clear out, you know, just bring a book or take a nap. Just just wait till everyone else is gone. Yeah, I I saw this. I saw two Stone shows in Tokyo in 2014 at the Tokyo Dome, which is a giant indoor stadium. And in in Japan, they do it a different way. When the show when the show was over, no one leaves. The announcer comes on and dis- dismisses the stadium, <laughs> section by section. So like, I was in the front. They dismissed our section and one at the very top of the stadium first. Everyone else sits and waits. So those two sections leave. Then two more sections are called, and they leave. So that's the way they. That's wow. their method for avoiding, you know, a traffic jam and exit exit <laughs> wow. traffic jam. It, it was really. That's I mean, I knew it was going to happen because people told me it was going to happen, but it was it was really weird to watch. It'd never work here. <laughs> <laughs> never work. We're going to wrap up now, but I wanted to ask you, Mark, is there a song that you're hoping you're going to hear? Any, anything uh, you're hoping for with this show? Uh, my dream song, and it has been for years, is um, Time Waits for No One, uh, which I don't think I will uh, ever see the Stones do. Um, I have to say that the best song I've ever, ever, the single best song I ever saw them do was I Got the Blues in San Jose in 1999. Um, and I've had other surprises, like in 2006 at the Beacon Theater shows, they did I'm Free from their second or third album. I never thought I'd see them do that. So they do throw in surprises. If they did Time Waits for No One, that would really surprise me. You know what What I've always wanted them to do, and you know, it's getting a bit late, so I don't know if they will do this, but I would love if they just did 
um, an 80s tour or a 70s tour or like just I agree. played a, I agree. focused on a certain era because that's the kind of fan I am is I'll go through phases where as much as I love the early 70s, late 60s albums, I'll dig deep into the terrible 80s albums and there you know there's a lot of gems there and a lot of great songs there and i would just love to see them pull all that stuff out play it now make it sound different bring it back to life uh just the harlem shuffle tour you know the the dream that i have and this will definitely never happen is uh at the beginning of the uh the zip code tour in 2015 they re-released sticky fingers for the 50th anniversary and i went to the show um at the b at the i'm sorry the fonda theater in la in hollywood 700 people most people were invited there were about 150 um pairs of tickets tickets sold they did all the sticky fingers and that was like a lot of people's dream my dream would have them do undercover the whole album oh wow which which is you know not on anybody's top 10 list i I don't think um but that's you know one of their roughest and rawest albums if they did that whole album i would be in heaven that'd be amazing i wonder if you had like benioff money if you could get that done just i (laughs) think you i mean you can hire the stones i uh, uh in 2016 i actually was invited to a private show in Las Vegas, and it was the um, National Truckers Association, I think. And they paid the Stones $5 million for 90 minutes, and they played 90 minutes. Nice. If you got the money, you can do it. The band themselves probably don't remember half those songs at this point. I mean... Yeah. Well, there's still time. Uh, We wrote in 1978 that this might be the last tours, so we might might hear all of these things before it's all over. Thank you both for coming on, Mark Lundgren and Ideen Vaziri, and thank you for listening. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Ideen Vaziri and Mark Lundgren. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Our senior producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Music is Mozart's Symphony 40 in G minor by Blue Dot Sessions. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.